Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we're going to check in with Matt Walsh, who's played in TBT twice. The first year he played for Team Barstool, which made it all the way to the championship game before losing to the Notre Dame Fighting Alumni. And last year, Matt played for Slam, which uh, unfortunately lost its first round game to one Chicago out in the Midwest Regional. Matt's a great guy. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. He's got a lot to talk about in terms of his career, international basketball, and just sports in general. Remember, if you're listening on iTunes, you can subscribe to TBT's podcast by hitting that little button right at the top right. It says subscribe on it. Couldn't be clearer. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating. It'll help spread the word. Thanks. Hey, Matt. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm great, man. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So this is kind of a rarity because you're actually back stateside in February. Yeah, rarity is not the word. I haven't been home in February for 10 years. <laughs> so what what are you doing now? I'm doing commercial real estate investing. I um, invest in apartment complex in, uh, apartment complexes in emerging markets throughout the United States. So emerging markets meaning domestic markets or international stuff? Yeah, domestic. Um, I, to put it shortly, I identify markets that I think are about to grow or are begin entering their growth stage, and we look for apartment complexes that I feel like we can go in and add value to, hold them for three to five years, and then sell them at a much higher value. This is really fascinating. So did you use any of your sort of overseas experience of seeing some of these cities that look like they're sort of on the, on the rise to, to get into this? Yeah, I just kind of use my life experiences, I guess. And honestly, it takes a lot of homework. It's harder than it sounds, you know, because if you get into the wrong market and then it takes a turn for the worse, you know, you're stuck with an asset that's depreciating instead of appreciating. But it's been really good. I've been able to use some of my contacts that I've made throughout the years to uh, help me along the way. And I'm really enjoying it. Best part is I don't have a boss. I... (laughs) And pretty much what you put into it is what you get out of it. If you work hard, you know, you find the right property. So did you actually open up your own office or are you in with some partners? Yeah, well, I have two partners. Um, they provide a lot of the equity for the deals we do. But in terms of the day-to-day stuff, all the work is on me. I find properties that I believe are going to be successful and I bring them to my partners. And if they agree that the numbers look good, we go ahead and buy them. So this is obviously, and I think we kind of jumped to what you're up to now before we got to the back end, but you know, you've transitioned away from basketball, at least from the club perspective. Um, you retired last fall and I was curious what your, what your decision-making process was for that. Um, well, honestly, I intended to play this last year and then I got home and I have two kids and a wife and I could see how happy they were and we bought a house and um, it was just kind of a gradual decision. I started talking with who are now my two partners about what I want to do next year. And they both kind of said like, well, you know, if you decide you're not ready to go back over again this year, you know, we can ramp it up and do it now. So I just looked at it like I'm getting a jump start on my future. Um, I knew for sure that this was going to be the last year I wanted to play. I was ready mentally to step away from basketball and do something else, a new challenge. So when this opportunity came along, it was just kind of like, I almost felt like if I played basketball, I'd be putting off the rest of my future for another year. And I just felt like it was the right opportunity. See, that sometimes is a conversation that, or at least a thought process that a lot of athletes will have when they're getting out of college, you know, like not many people actually go on to play professionally, certainly not for a decade. And I'm wondering, as you start thinking about that stuff in your early thirties now with a family and kids, was that more difficult or less difficult given how long you played, do you think? Um, 
it wasn't that difficult a process for me. Um, I'd been involved in real estate since I got out of school. My, my mom's a realtor. My dad's a real estate investor. So I've invested in a lot of real estate throughout my career. In the summers, I would be involved. So this was kind of just a natural step for me. And I think that I would have struggled with the decision a lot more if I really felt like I wanted to play this year basketball. I love basketball, but I was ready for a new challenge. And I felt like after having 10 years of experiences all over the world, I was just ready to move on and be home. And honestly, everyone asked me, oh, do you regret it? Are you missing it? And I don't. Like, I'm, I keep myself busy, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And I, I don't miss the, the life overseas, that's for sure. Well, I wanted to ask you, because that, what you just said, to me indicates a really strong sense of fulfillment with what you accomplished in basketball. Is that how you feel? Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like basketball doesn't owe me anything, and I don't owe basketball anything. I always worked as hard as I could to get to the highest level I could. I had a great last year. I always felt like throughout my whole career that I was not going to be a guy that just held on and held on and limped away from the game. I was able to walk away after being an all-star. Um, I, was, I was an all-star my first year in Europe and an all-star my last year in Europe, so that was a cool thing. And I just felt like it was time, and I think that that feeling has been proved correct in that I'm really not missing my former life. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that because the former life was was something that I think a lot of people don't really get the inside scoop on, you know, from the guys that are living it and going from team to team and city to city. I mean, was it a situation where I think I read early in your career, maybe you weren't the happiest guy overseas and, and sort of you got accustomed to it? Or what was the transition like in that regard? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I was miserable my first year in Europe. I was coming off I played with the Heat part of my first year, and then I got cut from New Jersey Nets on the last day of training camp. And I went to Larissa Greece, Greece, which is like a village in Greece, and I was miserable. And I made myself miserable. I made my teammates miserable, I'm sure. But I realized pretty quickly after that year that if I was going to have a successful career, I was going to have to, you know, cut the crap, <laughs> per se, and, and just start embracing my situation and you know, stop feeling sorry for myself. And after I did that, I realized how lucky I had it. And I really embraced being in Europe and the experience. And it was an amazing experience. And there are some negatives and some things that go along with playing overseas. But overall, I couldn't have been happier with my experience. Was that something, sort of that realization that you have to cut the crap, something that you came to on your own? Or was maybe your parents involved in that conversation? Or how did that actually come into your head? Yeah, it just kind of evolved on my own. I realized, you know, part part way through my second year in Europe, um, I kind of got like transferred from one team to another. And I realized like, man, I, I have a decision to make. I, I either need to, you know, stop playing overseas and go home and try the D-League or something, or I need to just embrace where I'm at. I mean, I was living in, right outside of Barcelona and I'm like feeling down and sad and not happy. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? So it was just pretty much a realization that this is going to be my career. I need to do something different. What's it like to go from one team to another? It seems like in Europe, it's very rare to have a multi-year contract, right? Yeah. For the most part, I'd say 90% of guys sign one-year deals. Um, but it was cool. That was one of the things that I always loved. And I had opportunities to go back to teams and play a second year. And I always just felt like if I was going to be in Europe or overseas, I wanted to experience as many things as I could. So any chance I had to jump around and 
and move from country to country. I did. Um, sometimes I would change during season, but pretty much if I played a whole season somewhere the next year, I was looking to play somewhere else. Did you have a particular place that was your favorite? Everyone asks me that, and it's so hard because when I think back, every place really was cool for a different reason. Uh, some places, the cities weren't great, but my team experience was awesome. Other places I lived in just amazing. I mean, my last year in Istanbul, getting a chance to live in Istanbul for a year, it was just incredible. So really, I played all over, and for if I had to pick one, I would probably say Slovenia, which surprises a lot of people. But playing Ljubljana was amazing. What was it about it? In Slovenia, it's just a beautiful city. It's small, it's like four hundred and fifty thousand. Um, but people were welcoming. Food was great. The women were beautiful. There was really nothing negative to say about it. Which and probably one of the big reasons was it was just probably my best team experience I ever had there. And we didn't even have a great team uh, in terms of winning, but just awesome group of guys, and that made the whole experience great. Was it overseas that you ended up becoming friends with Donnie McGrath? Yeah, well, me and Donnie have been playing against each other in AU since we were, I don't know, 14, 15. And we were always the only white guys on our opposite team. So it was impossible not to know who he was, and he knew who I was. And then we played against each other in college, and our parents like sat together, and they kind of both spoke to each other about how me and Donnie each had this mutual respect and affinity for each other. And since then, we were just good friends. And we played against each other overseas, and we just developed a friendship pretty early on. So it was that friendship that led, led to the 2014 uh, Team Barstool in TBT, right? Yeah, it was funny. He wrote me on Facebook, and he was like, yo, get your boys at Barstool to sponsor a team in this. And I had seen the link before, but I finally like looked into it, and I was like, wow, can this be for real? So after I talked to Donnie, I hit up you know Dave and Dan from Barstool, and they said, you know, well, what do you need from us? And I told them, and they said they would get solved. And from then on, we just started building our team. So what was the – I'd love to backtrack on this because I, for those that, you know, aren't aware, Team Barstool in 2014, probably the most talented team on paper uh, in the tournament. You know, just a lot of ex-NBA talent, guys that were current pros overseas, height, you know, speed on the outside, on the outside, shooting everything, uh, you know, and, and made it to the championship game and then lost to Notre Dame. I think it was a four point game. If I'm right about that. And yeah, something, something like that. Just really surprising. It was a great environment. The championship game, you know, barstool fans were, you know, out in force and chanting and it was just an awesome environment. And I was wanted to tra- backtrack and we'll start, I guess, with that 2014 team. So you were friends with Donnie from going back to AAU, but at the same time, you had made some connection with the guys from Barstool, right? Yeah, I connected with the guys from Barstool. Uh, I think the first time I connected them was just on Twitter. Um, joke, it was when Florida and Michigan were playing in the Final Four, and I tweeted at Dave something, and he wrote back like, man, because Michigan beat Florida, and he t- wrote back like, man, if I would have known this was the Matt Walsh, I would have been talking way more junk than I was. <laughs> so we just uh, kind of like became friends, and then um, yeah, one thing led to another. Had you met him before TPT in person? I assume you had, huh? I had never met him in person. We, it was just kind of like one of those things we would always, uh, you know, write each other and stuff. And uh, first time we met though was in Philly for TPT. That's hilarious. So they show up and they've got uh, you know the the video that they're producing and, and the content that they're doing for their website, and you know the team kind of runs through, and you've got. You know, some really seasoned pros in the team, Dante Jones, Josh Boone, 
Um, Andre Barrett was on the team along with yourself and Donnie and Justin uh, Burrell. And, uh, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say cruise, but, you know, the opening game was a, was a blowout against the Barstool Philly team. And then you played a couple of really close games. And I'm wondering, was there a point where you're kind of playing with that team in 2014 and you felt like it really was gelling? Yeah, I mean, we had so much fun with that team just from the whole dynamic of Barstool combined with, you know, Dante and these NBA guys. And um, I think we just all had a mutual respect for each other as players and people. And all we wanted to do was win. And we just had so much fun. I think what tied it all together mostly was if you have a good point guard in a tournament like that, I mean, Andre Barrett was the best player, in my opinion, in the whole tournament. And he just made it easy for all of us and made it fun for us to play. And uh, I, I mean, people think I'm crazy, but when I talk, when thinking back to that 2014 TBT team, that was one of the most fun teams I've ever played on. Yeah, I think I remember seeing you tweet about that, uh, something to that effect. You know, I, th- I know we embedded it in a couple of articles or something, but that was a lot of fun. And it seemed like it was the first time I had met you that you really were having a great time. You know, you were back in Philly. I think, you know, you had some family come watch you and stuff like that. I mean, that must have been a great experience. It was awesome. I mean, it it really was. It was one of the best. The whole experience was great, but especially that weekend in Philly was one of the, it felt like I was back playing AAU basketball with a bunch of buddies from, you know, Philly. It was, it was really cool. Including the two games in a day. Was that hard? No. Uh-uh. I mean, <laughs> anybody who tells you that's hard is lying. I mean, in Europe, especially, you practice twice a day all the time. So to play two games like that, I mean, it, I don't know. You'd have to ask other guys, but it wasn't hard for me. You know, one of the things I like to ask people, Matt, is what it's like to kind of organize a team yourself. In other words, you're playing with people that you want to play with, as opposed to, uh, you know, when you're in AAU, you got to play with whoever the top players are in your in your city, or you go to college and you don't really dictate who gets recruited. You know, was that something that you enjoyed, is kind of bringing together a group of guys that, you know, you wanted to play with? A lot of it was in, was I enjoyed, and then part of it was stressful because, well, like look at our team, for example. We had two guys not show up for the final and trying to get a hold of those guys and having them tell you they're coming and not show up. And then, you know, other guys want this guy on the team, but you feel like it's not best for the team. So it was stressful, but it was cool. I mean, we, like, we had such a good group of guys, and me and Donnie kind of put the team together, and it, it was fun. On the most part, it was fun. Would you rather not deal with those issues and, and rather just have – sort of the structure like you would have in a pro team overseas where there's one guy in charge and whatever he says is just the final word? I don't think so because if I'm going to do a tournament like TBT where, you know, yeah, of course we want to win the money. I mean, 2014, we're a few points away from winning it, but I think the message I take away from that is just, it should be about fun and you should be playing with guys you enjoy being around. And if it's going to be all business, then, you know, I don't think you're going to have as good an experience, and I think you're going to have less of a chance to win. What was that like? Um, I talked to Davin White, who lost the um, championship game this past year in 2015, uh, sort of about what that was like to lose that game. Uh, can you kind of t- walk us through that? You know, was there – was it surprising? Was it devastation? What were some of the emotions that you might have been feeling when you lost that game in 14? <laughs> you just said them both, surprise and devastation. I mean – I think we were up by five at halftime or seven or something. And we, we, I mean, we expected to win from the moment the tournament started. You know, we expected to win. And, um, yeah, we were just surprised, devastated. Um, I think part of the reason why it was so devastating was just 
like I said, we had so much fun playing together. And, you know, I'll never play with those guys all together ever again. So it would have been a, a really cool thing to be the first QBT champs. And, but, I mean, now looking back, that, that feeling of, you know, devastation is gone. I look back at it as just an awesome experience. And then last year, you got together again with Donnie and Ross Burns. Um, I think Josh Boone was on the team again, Justin Burrell, uh, under the Slam magazine title. Uh, they kind of, you know, spearheaded the team and sponsored you guys to an extent, uh, at least in terms of helping to get votes. What was that experience like coming together for the second year? And how was it different? Um, it was not as much fun. I didn't know everyone on the team. Um, we didn't have, uh, you know, the same camaraderie. I wasn't as involved as, uh, putting the team together. Um, but for whatever reason, we didn't click as much. Slam was supposed to be more involved than they said, you know, they pretty much all Slam did was give us the name Slam, um, which I could have lived without. Um, so it just wasn't as enjoyable experience overall were you a slam reader growing up of course yeah i mean i remember i was in slam magazine i think for the first time they did an article on me on my senior year of high school and it was like the biggest deal ever for me i still probably have somewhere in storage or in my parents house a million slam magazines so it was cool that they wanted to uh you know sponsor us and everything but you know they kind of indicated that they were going to be more involved and supply some things and they never really stepped up. Do your parents keep that stuff still? I'm sure that my crazy mom has stuff in the basement that you wouldn't even believe. <laughs> There's got to be a lot of it. I mean, you were very highly recruited coming out of high school and, you know, obviously played at Florida, which is, you know, at the time it still is one of the top basketball schools in the country. I mean, that's got to be a lot of stuff that she's accumulated over the years. Yeah. I mean, I, went through my storage a few years ago and I had to throw out like 20 big boxes full of recruiting letters. My mom had kept all my recruiting letters. So I just had these bins and bins of recruiting letters. And I was thinking to myself, what in the hell can I do with these now? So I looked through a couple of them and the rest went in the trash. Were there any uh, recruiting letters in there that you were surprised that you had or that you maybe had forgotten about? Yeah, it was funny. I mean, it was cool to see, you know, these big coaches writing me personalized notes and, you know, some of the funny things that they they did, some of them uh, had, like, uh, combined, like, pictures of Eminem, and, like, it was, it was funny, the recruiting tactics that people used. Really? It was cool. I spent a few minutes looking through them. Uh, but, like I said, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with them, so they're somewhere recycled now. How old were you, Matt, when you kind of realized that you could do that, that you could go play at any school you wanted to, or that you had the opportunity to go play professional basketball. Was there a realization or was it sort of always, I'm going to do this and there's really no question? Well, you know, as a freshman, I didn't even make varsity team. I was 5'10". Um, I still always believed that, you know, I was going to get to a certain level. I wasn't going to accept no. So then that year I grew like seven inches. I came back and I was player of the year in my high school league as a sophomore. Um, and, I didn't get any recruiting letters to freshman. Sophomore year, I had letters from everyone. And then by the time junior year came around, I realized that I was pretty much going to have my pick of anywhere I wanted to go. Um, and that was cool. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> Is that something that you would want your kids to go through, a similar experience like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have any negatives to say about the experience. I mean, I loved it. Even after I started getting recruited heavily, I would look forward to coming home and you know, my mailbox like wasn't big enough to fit all the letters I was getting every day. So they would deliver them right to my front door, these big sacks of mail. I mean, by the time 
that came around, I would only open the ones that were <laughs> handwritten, that I could tell were handwritten. If they were a generic recruiting letter, I wouldn't even open them. So it was cool. I would love for my son to experience that if he gets into basketball, which, you know, it's totally up to him. Is he show- well, first of all, how old is your son right now? He's four. Is he showing any signs of, you know, a proclivity towards basketball or a desire to play? <laughs> you know, he's all over at all the plays. I mean, he used to love coming to my games the last two years and running on the court after the game and playing hoops and everything. But he's just so happy. He's the happiest little kid. And he likes doing everything. Like right now it's indoor soccer season. So he's playing goalie in indoor soccer. So whatever he wants to do, uh, if, he, if he one day wants me to you know, teach him what I know, I'll be happy to. I read a little piece about you going back to, I think it's his school actually, to run a clinic in the last month or so. Uh, are you pretty involved yeah. in his athletic career so far? Or do you intend to do that as he gets older? Well, this was he, 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 there's no, he's only in pre-K, so he doesn't play basketball there yet. But the coach over there asked me if I would come and kind of run practice for a day with the six through eighth graders. And I said, of course, I'd love to. So I went over and I think the kids enjoyed it and I enjoyed it. And I get involved in some other volunteer stuff around here. But um, in terms of with him, I kind of am hands off now. I don't want to be one of those overbearing dads. Um, like I said, if he gets really into it and he wants my help, I'll be happy to help him. But until then, I, uh, we kind of just do it for fun. Is that the approach your dad had? Yeah. You know, my dad coached, um, my teams once I got a little older, eight, nine, 10. Uh, I don't think he ever coached me basketball. He coached my baseball teams and I was into all this, every sport when I was a kid. And I just loved sports so much from day one that my dad pretty much had no choice but to get involved because every second I was asking him to play something. Yeah. So my hope is that my son is like that too because I'd like to stay involved. But if he wants to be an actor or uh, whatever he wants to do, I'm more than happy to support him. Did you know that basketball was your favorite sport from a certain point or was that love of all sports, did that extend all the way through high school? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, going into high school, I played basketball, baseball, and football. Um, but pretty much by the time I got to ninth grade, I knew basketball was going to be my focus. Um, I just started to, for whatever reason, I just loved basketball the most. And so when I got to high school, I ran track and I played basketball. I, I stopped playing. Well, one, I probably would have got killed if I played football. I was so skinny and little. And uh, baseball was just too time consuming. So I just started focusing on basketball. Are you a big Philly sports fan? <clears throat> Am I what? I'm sorry. Like a big Philadelphia sports fan? Yeah, pretty much. It's hard for me to, I don't know if other players feel like this, but it's hard for me to really root for teams now that I've been on teams and I know what goes on. And I'm more of a, you know, I have friends in pretty much all professional sports. So I root for my buddies, the guys who I know, the guys who I know are good guys. Um, I hope the Philly teams do well, but I'm not, I'm not a maniac. So you're not, you're not like watching every game and complaining about, you know, calls and all that kind of stuff (laughs) on the TV. No, you know, the NFL football, I love football. I watch every game there is throughout the whole weekend. So not just Eagles games. And then, you know, I'll take my son to some baseball games and if they're on, but I'm not, I'm definitely not that guy. No. Were you able to watch them when you were overseas? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I had swing box when I was overseas. So I would, uh, Sundays were my favorite, especially when I played on teams where I had games on Sunday. Yeah. I'd have like an afternoon game or even a night game, and then I'd come home and stay up all night watching football. So are you an Eagles fan, I take it? Yeah, I like the Eagles. Um, like I said, I've, I know some, I have some buddies who, who play in the NFL, and I just sort of, uh, in every sport, you know, appreciate greatness and, you know, 
who who does it the right way. So I was I was happy to see Peyton Manning win the Super Bowl. But uh, I mean, I, I'm an Eagles fan. I went to a game this year for the first time in a long time. You know, not to not to flatter you too much, Matt, but you think it seems to me like you think about sports a little bit differently than other people. And I'm curious if you saw some of that same sort of thing in Chip Kelly with the Eagles, and if that's a guy that you liked. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely in the minority, but I love Chip Kelly, and I think that he's going to be successful uh, in San Francisco. Um, so go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just curious, like how rare is that to find someone that thinks differently like he does? You know, he almost challenges every assumption that you might have about football and sports kind of in general is that it's very much of a group think environment. Yeah. You know? I love it. And I think that in order, I mean, if you look at Bill Belichick, he's the same way. He's just won so much now that people accept it. And if you look at a lot of top guys that when they first started doing it their way, people scrutinize them and criticize them. But I think that there's something to thinking differently and looking at things a different way and also not budging when people, you know, say you should do it the way that everyone else does it. Do you think that that's a common, I guess my question sort of is just not knowing as much about the way that basketball operates overseas, but is it more common to see that sort of alternative thinking over there or is it more common over here? (laughs) Unfortunately, I think it's more (laughs) common in Europe to find somebody who's not quite sure what they're doing or what they should be doing <laughs> than somebody who's very sure of themselves and doing it the right way. Um, yeah, you know, the thing is, in Europe, um, they most coaches, European coaches, and uh, it varies depending on where in the world they're from, but they view the European game as different and better than the NBA game and, you know, the American way of playing. So definitely a clash in styles and um yeah you you get some very old school thinking that does not mesh with uh, a lot of the stuff that you're taught from an early age here in america if you're well coached how do they view it as as better they just view the style you know they view americans as flashy and play one-on-one and don't play defense i'm speaking about the nba uh, don't play defense until the playoffs and you know, they look at it over there as it's a more, more pure game. You share the ball more. They just, they look at it like their style of play is better. In that you have a, regard. When you're playing over there, there's a ton of practice time too, right? Oh, it's brutal. I mean, you play maximum twice a week. So if, if, you, I mean, if you're only playing in a domestic league, you're only playing on the weekend once a week. So you have all week to practice once or twice a day. And so they must be just drilling the hell out of you guys in terms of <laughs> set plays and defensive uh, organization and all that kind of stuff, huh? Yeah, it's brutal, especially if you're not on a well-coached team. And, you know, you just do the same things over and over and you practice bad habits. And it was very, that was one of the things that was very hard for me early in my career was just kind of to accept, to say, yeah, okay, to the coach and then do whatever I was going to do anyway, instead of always <laughs> fighting the coach because I got myself into trouble saying like, look, you're teaching it the wrong way. Like we're not doing it the right way and you're never going to win that battle with a coach. Yeah. And so what would be the reaction when you would say that? You know, they would, you know, say like, no, this is sometimes it was, you know, they would get mad and say, you know, you can't challenge me on this. And other times they would, you know, say, Oh, it was a different reaction everywhere. But there's literally times where I felt like the guy who was teaching Coaching me when I was in eighth grade knew way more about basketball than the guy who was coaching me at the festival. That's amazing. 
Was there any country maybe that you were looking to play in that you didn't get a chance to that you wish you had? Um, let me think. Well, I would have liked to have played somewhere in Asia. I never played. I mean, technically, last year I was on the Asian side in Istanbul, but I would have liked to have played in China or Japan or Korea, something like that. You were telling me an interesting story about the Korean League's tryouts, I think, this past year, right? Something happened in Vegas. What happened with that? Yeah. So right after TBT, literally after we lost that morning, I flew out to Vegas where the they, the way the Korean League does it is they have a whole draft weekend where you go, you do drills and play, you get measured, and then um, they have to draft two days later. So I went out there, and they changed the rule this year that they were going to take a 6'4 player and under and a 6'4 and over player, so they'd have a guard and a big. And the Korean agent led me to believe that as long as I measured in somewhere close to 6'4, he'd make sure I registered as a guard. Well, if I stand up straight, I'm like 6'6". So I was thinking I'm really going to have to finesse this. So I went out and I was kind of slouching. And it's a really funny process. They have all the GMs and coaches and management from all the teams watching the measurements. So you're standing there and they're measuring. I'm trying to slouch. And they're like trying to force me to stand up. And I'm trying not to laugh. And I measure in and I measured in at 6'4 and literally like one millimeter. And I I hear like when they announce my measurements, this like little hush go over the crowd. And I'm like, oh, man. Don't tell me. And I, they told me I, I was too tall. I was going to have to play as a big. So I literally grabbed my stuff, went straight to the airport, and flew home. Unbelievable. Have you ever been told you're too tall before? Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, man, you can't make this stuff up. That's unbelievable. It's amazing how many different little rules like that there are. In, you know, Especially, I think, in Asia, they seem to have more of those rules. But even in Europe, you've got rules about how many foreigners you can have. I think some leagues have rules about... You know, how many Americans can be on the court at once? I mean, there's all these little quirks that I'm still finding out about. It's amazing. It's really funny. I mean, just for some examples, when I first came to Europe in Greece, you could only have two Americans. And that was pretty standard throughout all of Europe. Um, Now, last year, we had six or seven on our team. But it's strange. I mean, when we played in the Ukraine, um, in the Ukrainian league, you had to have two Ukrainians on the court at all times. And I'm so, like... OCD that I always knew who was on the court. So our coach would be subbing an American for a Ukrainian, and I'd be yelling at him, no, you've got to leave him on the court. We're going to get a technical foul. So it was a strange dynamic to, to have to worry about that kind of stuff and also play basketball. Wait, so are you aware of that stuff as you're playing? You know, like how many, yeah. you know, who's being subbed in, how many minutes people have played, things like that? Not minutes like that, but I, I, I know everything that's going on the court at the time. I can tell you the score in down to the second, how much time's left. That's just who I was. I think it's part of what made me good as a player. Is for whatever reason, that stuff just kind of always came easy to me. Do you have one of these me- like these memories of your sports things where you can recall specific shots that you made and games that you played on certain days and things like that? <laughs> yeah. Do you Unfortunately, really- yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, after I would play a game, Dan, I would go home. I'd never, ever sleep night after a game, even if I had 40 points and made every shot. And... Literally, the whole game would just run through my head and what, you know, what I didn't do well or, you know, what I did well. And I couldn't avoid it. It was little things drove me crazy. And (laughs) I'm glad I don't have to go through that anymore. That's amazing. So do you sit here now and, like, you can think back to some game you played in Slovenia and maybe what happened at certain points of the game and stuff like that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. If somebody were to bring up a specific game or something, I'm sure I would know the play they were talking about no matter what it is. Did you, because I, I could never do that, whether it was Little League or 
high school or college or whatever, I could never remember anything like that. And some of my teammates could always get that. Did you notice that some guys could and some guys couldn't? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I don't know if they go hand in hand, but it's part of the reason why I switched teams or something. I knew every play that we ran through after the first day. It was just that kind of stuff came easy to me. Anything that had to do with remembering basketball stuff-wise, it was just like automatic to me. Was that the same thing in, in school? Like, was school easy for you yeah. academically? Yeah, school came really easy to me. Uh, it drove my sister crazy growing up because she worked really hard but was a terrible test taker. And I never did anything but was the best test taker. So uh, it was school came very easy. I remembered things a lot. It was part of the reason why I did good on my SATs and stuff like that. It was just uh, that all that kind of stuff comes easy to me. Um, let's talk about school for a sec, just because I know we only got a couple more minutes. But uh, you went to Florida. And I think your wife went to LSU, right? Yes. Does that SEC rivalry play any role in your sort of college football watching or college basketball watching with her? <laughs> well, we make like a little friendly bet every year for LSU's part of football. But my wife could not have any of had any less interest in sports before she met me. So it works out good. She kind of accepts the fact that my son is a Gator, and there's no negotiating that. And <laughs> but I mean, I love going down to Baton Rouge and. Um, I love Louisiana, so we don't have too much of a rivalry in that regard. Um, last question, Matt. Do you think you'll be back for TBT 2016? Are you kidding? Uh, that's the one area where I'll, I will live away. I'll play TBT until my team doesn't want to have me anymore. So it's pretty much my only reason for staying in shape. If not, I'd probably be a fat slob right now. <laughs> so I have my uh, my target date there mid mid-July, and me and Donnie hopefully here soon will start putting our team together. I know that yeah, it's going to be even more competitive this year. and It's just a fun thing. Even if I wasn't in shape, I would want to be a part of it some way. It's just an awesome experience. So I had so much fun in 2014 that just to you know get a chance to do that again, I'll do it. So you're at the gym getting the shots up and, and doing what you need to do to keep yourself ready? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't miss the, the grind of the everyday stuff in Europe and everything, but I still love basketball. Any chance I get out there to, you know, Part of the thing that I loved about basketball was the day in, day out, like working on my own stuff. So I, I still do that probably because I'm a little bit crazy, but I enjoy it. That's great. All right, Matt, we'll see you on the website soon, and we'll touch base again hopefully sometime uh, later in the spring. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thank you.